Let no one ever say that Bob Thompson is not an ambitious worship leader slash worship planner. Because I just want you to know that this morning we're juggling this. Palm Sunday, Isaiah 52 and 53, and the part of the creed which is, and he descended into hell. So one of those for mere mortal pastors is, you know, enough. But for super pastors, you know, Bob, we're just going to start calling you Super P, Super, Super, Super Bob, Super Pastor. So we're this part of the creed, and I want to set you up for it, but if you go to the beginning of the creed, the creeds are there to keep us as churches sticking to the truth. Because when we think about it, so many of the false teaching, false doctrines, don't arise out of just things that have come completely and totally extra-biblical. There are things that people have gone to Scripture, and they have just kind of gone, oh, well, this doesn't mean that anymore, this means this. And they've taken scripture and they've twisted it and they've turned it and they've reinterpreted it in some strange way. And then you get this false doctrine, this false teaching, this heresy that comes out. And so when we look at the creed, the creed comes to maybe one of the most controversial or maybe more well misunderstood parts. So we start in the creed and we go, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And then we get to this part. He descended into hell. And you kind of just go, wait a minute, what does that mean? Hang on. We're going to talk about that this morning. But I really think, and this is something that Kevin wisely pointed out to us, that part of the creed is really in there to talk about what happened on Saturday. So we're on Palm Sunday this week, and this is the week that Jesus is greeted with, you know, we use this word a few times during the year, festal branches. Um, But he's greeted as he makes his triumphant entry. This is the beginning of the Passion Week. But then we know what happens on Good Friday. We know what happens on Good Friday, right? We, know, we talked about that last week, the last two weeks. We know what happens on Easter Sunday, but what happens on Saturday between Friday, Friday evening, Saturday day, Sunday morning, then Sunday the resurrection, those quote-unquote three days that he was in the grave. What happened while they're in there? Now I'm going to give you an example. We want to know what happened, right? About a month ago... Before Cassie Mumford got married, my daughter just happened to be home one of these weekends, and we said, hey, let's all go hiking. I have a four-door Toyota truck, which is a cab. Do you know how, you know, a cab of a truck is not like an SUV or even a car. It's smaller than that. And so we said, well, let's all go up, and we'll all go up into the gorge, and we'll go for a hike. This is an hour and a half drive up there. Cassie shows up with her dog. I'm going to give you the rundown, the demographics of this. Five people, five adult-sized people in the cab of a truck and two full-sized dogs. Okay, it was a very interesting drive up there. Our two dogs were like velociraptors at each other. Just the entire time, one just to the dog in the back seat and the dog in the back seat going to the dog in the front seat. And I mean, we were just kind of, all we felt like, you know, we're in an episode of some kind of Jurassic Park thing and you know, we're keeping these velociraptors apart. We went on the hike and we're like, that's going to tire them all out. You know, we have a boy dog, they have a girl dog. Anyway, we thought that would tire them all out. Did not tire them out at all. So we were going to go eat at a restaurant that's kind of up in this little town called Limbo Falls, and we like, we can't bring the dogs in with us. What are we going to do? Should we dare leave them in the truck with each other? Two dogs in the cab of a truck. Will the truck even be there afterwards? And so, you know, we, we get my dog in the front seat and their dog in the back seat and kind of like try to just chill them out, chill them out. The minute we close the door, we just immediately hear, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my truck is only a year old. It's not even, you know, does the warranty cover dog mauling? 
And we just kind of had to go, we got to put it out of our mind. It was 45 degrees outside, so it seemed like, you know, don't, don't email me and be like, how inhumane. It was cold. They needed their fur. They're, they're fine. And we're like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? We came back from eating at the restaurant. We're sitting right there. We didn't walk far away. And we walk out, and the dogs are both asleep in the front seat and the back seat, respectively. Now, there's the 14-year-old boy in me that just wonders, like, when we left, did my dog turn to the other dog and go, hey, listen. I know you're hyper, I'm hyper too. But wouldn't it be good if we napped for a little bit while they're out? Maybe we'll get a snack if we're a good boy and a good girl. I mean, I, I, I want to I really, I know what happened. You know, in that movie Pets talks about it. Like, when the people go away, the dogs and cats and animals all talk to each other. I want to know if that happened. But by the same token, I want to know what happened on Saturday. I want to know what happened. We know what happened on Good Friday. We know what happened on Easter Sunday. What happened on Saturday? And so we think that this part of the creed is attempting to talk about that. And it says, he descended into hell. Now, first of all, let's, let's just jump right into this part. And I'm going to tell you what it's not saying. You know, there are, there are different theories about this, and you can read different theories. But this part, if you notice, hell is not capitalized. This is not talking about the literal hell, as we would say, as the antithesis of heaven. This would be the Old Testament understanding of where the dead went. So this is, you can substitute the word Hades, you can substitute the word Sheol, or you can substitute the word grave. Now for me, even when I say the creed to myself, just so that I will know and I will understand, I substitute two words in there just because I need to understand because I'm, I'm immature. And I say, he descended into the grave. Then even when we get to the one holy Catholic church at the very end, because we've had so many people that don't understand that Catholic means all together, I say one holy Christian church just to me, just so I'll understand it. But what this hell is talking about is he went to the place of the dead the place of the dead not literal hell where we think the complete separation from God happens complete separation from God happened on the cross in the three hours of darkness when Christ ends that time by saying my God my God why have you forsaken me but this is the place of the dead and so Christ's body goes down so we want to talk about this we want to talk about this because we want to kind of introduce this doctrinal thing to you and try to talk to you about what this it's ended into hell is talking about so it's not literal hell but it is the place of the dead. And so what I want to introduce to you guys, introduce to you all, and Bob will follow up and finish up his sermon about this. But what this part of the text, part of the creed is talking about, is talking about something called the intermediate state. The intermediate state. The intermediate state is between life and our final state. Our final state, we know, is that we are resurrected with a new body in a new heaven and a new earth, and we are there worshiping Christ for forever. So what happens between when we live on earth we die, and then our final state where the body, our bodies have been resurrected, we get a new body, we're with Christ for all eternity. What happens? That's called the intermediate state. Now let me tell you kind of what people thought about the intermediate state. And this is what had happened by the time that Jesus is walking around the earth in these early years, 2,000 years ago. What had happened was coming out of that time through the use of scripture, we get two sets of people and we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees believed that there was no resurrection of the dead. And they just believed that when you died, you went into, you went into the earth and you were dead and you were buried and you were there in the place of the dead. They would say you were there in Sheol, you were there in Hades, you were there in the grave. But the Pharisees and others began to look at the text in Scripture and see that there was actually a resurrection that was going to come. You would look at places, things like Psalm 1610, where David would say, You will not let your godly one or your beloved one rot in the grave. 
You look at this text right here and you get to Isaiah 53, 10, 11, and 12. And it talks about he who died will now come and will be glorified and lifted up and God will give him glory. And how does that happen, by the way, if you're in the grave, if not resurrected and have many children? Obviously, so we're talking about a resurrection in this. Earlier in Isaiah 26, 19, it also talks about that those who are righteous and unrighteous will be raised up and called to judgment. But then even kind of maybe the coup de grace would be Daniel 12, 2, which talks about this bodily resurrection that happens. So by the time that Jesus is here, the Pharisees are talking about this intermediate state, and they're talking about the fact that you will die and that you will go and your body will lie in the grave. Your body will be in the place of the dead. And then at one time, at some time, there will be a physical resurrection of your body. And so their intermediate state had that. You laid in, you died, you laid in the grave in your intermediate state, and then someday there would be a resurrection. But Jesus comes and redefines that for us in his work. And Paul even builds on that as well. And it's how now we, when we come to the Apostles' Creed and we read it and we go, he descended into hell. What does that mean for us? What does that mean about the intermediate state that, we are, that we're going to be in? Because, by the way, death and taxes are coming for us all. So but we get this intermediate state. And the first clues about the change in Jesus' covenant from the Old Testament understanding happened in Luke 23, 43. So you notice that something happens when the... The thief on the cross mocks Jesus, and then the other thief says, Do you not know, and professes his faith and understanding in Christ? What does Jesus say to him? Jesus turns to him in Luke 23, 43, and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. So we can begin to get a different understanding, that Jesus has a different understanding of whatever this intermediate state is going to be. But then we also see something that's going on here in Scripture, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But we look at Philippians 1.23, and we see as Paul even reflects on this. And Paul says this, you know, part of me wants to be with you, but part of me wants to go and be with Jesus because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he mentions nothing about, and I'm going to lay in the grave until one day maybe I'll be resurrected and go with Jesus. There's an immediacy in the tense of the verbs in that text. But if we didn't think that was enough, we come over to 2 Corinthians 5, 8 and 9. And Paul says this very specifically. For we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so what we begin to understand and when we look at what happened on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday, is Jesus has given us the model for what happens in now, the new covenant of what the intermediate state for us as Christians look like and what we can know is that when Christ died, his spirit went immediately to be with the Father. His body was where? In the grave, in the place of the dead, in Sheol, in Hades, or whatever the ancients would say. But then on Sunday, what? His body was resurrected. And then his body was visible and his body was touchable and his body was eat fishable there for a little while while he was with while he was with his people. And this is also the model for us as well. Now that we understand this and we see where Christ is, we look at this and we go, you know what? When I die, immediately when I am in the Lord, when I am born again, my spirit goes to be with the Father. I don't have fear about death, about what's going to happen, where am I going to go. I know where my spirit is going to go. My spirit is going to immediately go to be with my Father. We look at the end of this text and the end of Isaiah 53 and 10, 11, and 12, and what does it talk about? That because Christ has gone to the grave, I love that the NIV says he was cut off from the land of the living. Now he will be the heir of many who will be called righteous on his account because of what he's done. You know what that means? We will come into his presence and be called righteous, and not as just righteous people, but as his children. 
So now the grave does not hold this fear over us or this idea that we have no hope because death comes. Because death comes, Christ has opened the door for us. His death opened the door and our death allows us to walk through it. And so the intermediate state for us looks like we die. Spirit goes immediately to be with the Father. Our body lays in the grave. Then one day, just like Christ on Easter Sunday, our bodies will too be resurrected. We know this from Thessalonians and this resurrection that's going to come, this bodily resurrection. And then we will come and we will be called to Christ. And then our final state will be we will be given a new heaven and a new earth and we will have new glorious bodies. I love that C.S. Lewis says, were we even to see the lowliest homeless person in heaven with their new glorious resurrected body, we would be tempted to fall down and worship them. And so this idea of he descending into hell gives us hope, not fear over death. And so as I introduce just our text real quickly so Bob can kind of jump in and go, like I said, he's super pastor, Palm Sunday, descending into hell, Isaiah 52, 53. He's a stud. I love you, Bob. I want to introduce Isaiah 52 and 53 by telling you this. I don't know if you knew this, but up until the 12th century, the Jewish people taught this as still an understanding of who the Messiah was going to be. Up until the 12th century, I'm talking about the 1100s here, just about a hundred, you know, a thousand years ago here, uh, 1100 years ago, a thousand years ago, they taught this as being also about the Messiah, just like we understand. But something happened, and we don't exactly know what it was, but in the 12th century, they flip-flopped this, and they quit teaching that this had to do about the Messiah, and they began to teach that the suffering servant actually was analogous to the nation of Israel which presents a lot of different problems. How did the nation of Israel suffer to serve and fulfill the sins of the nation of Israel? That's that's kind of a self-defeating statement. By the way, also, if we call the nation of Israel the suffering servant in this text, how was the nation of Israel sinless? The entire Old Testament is about how sinful the nation of Israel is. But no, we understand this, that this text, you almost could lift this out and put this as a preface to any part of any gospel talking about the passion of Jesus Christ. This is about our Savior, the one who offered himself, who went to the grave to fulfill the law on our behalf so that he could not just have us, but that we could have him in heaven for all eternity. One of the most unusual compliments I ever received as a pastor, besides the one today, was from the son of a member of my former church, and I had... Uh, just been there about a year or so when this, this, the member of the church had really, let's just say, given me hell. And then I got to preach his funeral, which, by the way, is a warning to you. Just, just saying. So I found a way to weave grace into that funeral, and, he, and his son came to me afterwards, and he said, you're a hell of a pastor. I said, I never really heard that compliment before. Like, that's, that's a new one on me. But it raises exactly where I want to go today, that the word hell is used in so many different ways. And so when we say Jesus descended into hell, what do we mean? Do we mean that Jesus lived our hell on earth? Yes. Do we mean that Jesus took our uh, hell, our eternal punishment that we deserved? Yes. I believe that he took that punishment when on the cross he said, my God, my God, you have for- why have you forsaken me? But did he also take our hell in the sense of going to the place of the dead, going to Hades on our behalf? And my answer is yes. So 
my take, my short answer take, there's longer in my 11 o'clock sermon, but there, my short answer take on he descended into hell is that Jesus went to Hades so you won't have to. So the, the dead who had died in the Lord before that time were in a sort of holding place. And the, the holding place was divided into two compartments, apparently. Read the parable that Jesus told in Luke 16 about Lazarus and the rich man. And they're both in Hades, but one's in torment and the other is in Abraham's bosom. So there's kind of this two-part Hades. Jesus goes there and liberates Abraham and David and Elijah and all the saints, all those who had loved him from that place of Hades into his presence, into the Father's presence, so that you, when you die, don't have to go to Hades. You can say with Paul to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it was kind of the last piece of hell that Jesus needed to take for us so that we wouldn't have to. We don't have to experience life as hell on earth. We can find joy. We don't have to experience eternal punishment, and we don't have to experience that holding pattern, that holding place. We can go right into the presence of the Father. So whether you like that explanation or not, I'm really, I'm kind of okay if you don't, because that's really not my bottom line. This is not something I get hung up on. But to me, it's just another great comfort that every aspect of what hell is However you want to think of it, whatever definition you want to use, Jesus took that for you too. He took everything involved in the consequences of our sin, which takes me back to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 and, um, and allows me then from there to transition into our service of Holy Communion. So let me tell you what I did with this text today. Typically, Pastor Paul and I will both explain our way through the text. We call it verse by verse or expository preaching. So let us take you through and explain the different words and ideas. I had a different thought for today, and fortunately for you, it's also shorter. I just paraphrased the text, and I used some of these ideas of hell that are woven into it, but I just kind of wanted to put this very familiar text in words that might be uh, not only fresh, but, uh, but personal. Words that might get not just to your head, but to your heart today. And in order to go there, I need to remind you that this passage is written uh, to and for the Jewish people at their lowest point historically. So the Jews have been taken into exile into Babylon because of their sin. Their, their heinous idolatry had reached a point where God said, there's no way to deal with you except to allow the Babylonians to come in and destroy your temple, destroy your city, destroy your nation, destroy your hope. So in that setting, God speaks the words really of kind of the New Testament part of Isaiah, which is chapters 40 through 66. It's all one expression of hope after another. But there are several servant songs in here. There are several, several poems that deal with God's servant. And yes, Jews see this as Israel. I'm not going to spend my time debating that. But we Christians uh, almost in unison say, no, I'm seeing Jesus all over this. These servant songs are Jesus. And there's no better example than the one that Pastor Lori read for us. So in order for me to, to read this paraphrase for you and allow you to enter into it, I need you to do something for me, which is also going to get us ready for communion. I need you to go to your worst self, your worst moments. In your mind and your heart, I want you to go to that moment, not necessarily where you felt most abandoned by God, but where you felt you abandoned God the most. Like I was 
far from him, and I was resistant to him, and my behavior and my thoughts and my actions uh, were, were uh, the equivalent of idolatry. I was living for me. I need you to go to that moment. And for some of you, that's, that's easy. Like, that's a clear uh, moment in your life. For others of you, maybe there isn't just one point in time, but maybe for you also. As for me, when we tear off the defenses and excuses, we recognize that within there are many moments of pride and lust and envy and anger, baggage, broken relationships, greed, the people you don't like, the ones you avoid, the ones you say, I will forgive, but I will not forget, the injustices around you that you know were there and you should do something about and you overlook them anyway, the racism, the condescension toward others. Do I need to keep going? Like, you you get where I'm going, right? So I need you to go to that moment where you are most desperately aware of your need for God's grace and forgiveness. And I want you to just take a moment now and close your eyes and go there to that place where you know you deserve hell. And still, maybe this is just me, but because I think it might help us focus more if you keep your eyes closed, I want you to hear these words again from Isaiah 52 and 53, but in a paraphrase that I hope will go a little deeper into your heart and mine. Pay attention to your God. My servant will flourish You will have to look up to see him, lofty, glorious, higher than high. At first, he was lower than hell. Many people looked down at him, disgusted. He was literally defaced. Those who saw him didn't think he was even human. My servant exploded over the nation, stunning kings into silence. Now they were seeing the unimagined, understanding the unheard. Who would ever have believed this? It's outrageous. It's far-fetched. The power of our God is the only explanation. God's biceps on display. Fragile at first, the servant sprouted as a scrawny seedling from hell on earth. We didn't look twice at him. No beauty, no dignity, no magnetism. We despised him. Passing over this nobody disabled by pain and heartache, We hid our faces, patronizing this pitiful form. We thought him nothing. Don't miss this. He was buckling under the weight of our pain and heartache. We thought God was pummeling him, giving him hell for his own evil. But he was being speared for our rebellions, flattened for the blame that was ours. He suffered hell to give us peace. His flogging healed us. We've all roamed around like clueless sheep doing our own thing, and our God has heaped on his servant the hell we deserved. He was exploited and humiliated like a slave, but never protested. Like a sheep, he was butchered and sheared 
but kept as quiet as they do, falsely caged and judged. No one at that time cared when he was carted off, hacked from the land of the living, plagued for my people's rebellions. He shared his end with criminals and a rich man. We didn't understand. He had never harmed anyone with his hands, his heart, or his mouth. Our God delighted in crushing and harming his servant as a guilt offering. He will see descendants. He will live again. He will do our God's desire. After his soul faces hell, he will be satisfied with knowing God. My faultless servant will make others faultless, bearing their punishment. And I, your God, will honor and reward him because he stared down hell. He entered the fraternity of sinners and reconciled rebels to God. Lord Jesus, we say almost too often because it becomes so familiar, you died for us. And you did. But what depth of hell you took that we might live with you in heaven. May there be in each of us a profound awareness and then a profound heart change and commitment, a refreshment of what it means to be able to live at peace, free from guilt and blame, free to love as you have loved us because of the cross. Amen.